Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. Each week, we'll be talking with real people with real stories about things they have not said or done or have said or done in their workplace that required bravery. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. This is Ed Everts, and I'm the founder and president of Excellius Leadership Development. Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. I hope you have listened to our past podcast conversations. And if you'd like to hear past episodes, go to BeBraveAtWork.com, subscribe to our podcast, and learn some valuable lessons about bravery at work. My new book, Drive Your Career, Nine High-Impact Ways to Take Responsibility for Your Success, is now available at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and at any online book retailer you prefer. Check it out today. Our podcast today is sponsored by Cabot Risk Strategies. Based in Woburn, Massachusetts, Cabot Risk Strategies has created innovative and customized insurance strategies for individuals and families, businesses, nonprofits, commercial real estate, and public entities. Cabot's client base continues to expand, both within the region and within the markets they serve. And if you're looking for customized insurance services and solutions, contact Cabot at 800-222-5963 or visit them at cabotrisk.com. I'm really excited to introduce our guest today. Ron Carucci is a co-founder and managing partner at Navalent, working with CEOs and executives pursuing transformational change for their organizations, leaders, and industries. Ron has a 35-year track record helping some of the world's most influential executives tackle challenges of strategy, organization, and leadership. From startups to Fortune 10s, not Fortune 100s, but Fortune 10s, turnarounds to new markets and strategies, overhauling leadership and culture to redesigning for growth, he has worked in more than 25 countries on four continents. In addition to being a regular contributor to HBR and Forbes, his work has been featured in Fortune, CEO Magazine, Business Insider, MSNBC, Inc., Business Week, and Smart Business. He is also the author of eight best-selling books. Hello, Ron. Hey, Ed. How are you? Thanks for having me today. Thanks for being here. We're thrilled. Hopefully everything is going well in your world. Indeed. Uh, you know, everything you'd ever want from a, hopefully a fading out pandemic one day soon. We hope. We hope every day you turn on the news, it's going in, it feels like it's going in the wrong direction. But uh, It feels like it's going in every direction, which is probably even worse. It probably is. So, well, thanks for joining us today. And I did the best I could in introducing you, but certainly would love to hear from you a little bit more about yourself, specifically kind of what you've done and where you are today and what your business provides the, uh, you know, the industry. Yeah. So I spend my days, as you mentioned in your very kind words, uh, I'm a managing partner at the firm Navalent that I helped co-found 15 years ago. We're a organization and leadership transformation company, and we spend our days accompanying leaders, mostly executives of either large enterprises or parts of large enterprises. Uh, who are um, facing some tumultuously difficult change, whether that's a strategic positioning change or they have to overhaul culture or their enterprise needs to be redesigned or they need to change governance or they need to change deep within themselves or some combination of all of those. We construct the journeys that help them get to where they want to go. They're often, our our relationship, um, they often spend multiple, you know, parts of an enterprise um, and, uh, you know, leaders come to d- deeply trust who we are and we form really amazing relationships with the clients we serve. 
And so I would imagine in these transformational changes that organizations and leaders are going through, while you may not be hired to help people be braver, you must see opportunities or requirements for people to demonstrate bravery in order to make progress. Well, I would say the very fundamental the fundamental of our work is requires courage. Um, we our diagnostic methodology is quite forensic. We go in and really we excavate all kinds of insights and data that most executives would never have access to, and we hold that mirror up so they hear everything we hear. They hear every comment, every syllable, every emotion, every swear word we hear. They don't know who said it, but they hear it. Code it. We code our data with a very you know. Uh, sophisticated proprietary software tool um, and to look into that mirror uh, first of all to even ask us to gather that that kind of data but then to look in that mirror and to honestly uh, acknowledge what it's reflecting back takes tremendous courage and so the, the the beginnings of our relationship are seated with the need to step up to the plate and be brave a lot of the clients I work with, we do, we do some type of 360 assessment, similar to what you're describing, where we go out and ask a number of people what they experience when they work with that leader. And I've always thought that for a leader to do it, if it wasn't just some type of corporate requirement, but something they were doing specifically for their own development, that it did require bravery to hear back from people anonymously how they experience you in the workplace, because most people will hear pieces of information that are positive and other pieces of information that are constructive. And sometimes the constructive feedback can sting a little. Well, and when you, when you take that to a place of, now I've, I've interviewed the top 50 executives of your company, uh, and I've asked them about the strategy, about your culture, about uh, your customers, about the confusion over failing performance, uh, and about your leadership, and about your team, right? Now you have 80 pages of a conversation you would never have access to. Uh, that I not only am I going to ask you to read it, I'm now going to make you sit down with your whole team who have also read it and have an honest conversation about what it says, right? So I, I, we the, the successive levels and depths of required courage. And then on top of that, I'm going to ask you to act upon it. I'm going to ask you to create some actions in, implied by the data that cause you to create some very tumultuous but needed change. So... Uh, the opening move of, of, of the courage of honesty to look into the mirror of, of what story is being told about your organization um, is only compounded by the fact that you now have to act upon what you learn. Well, you're causing me to think a little bit uh, in the moment about bravery as it relates to feedback, because I see there are three big components. There's the collection of the feedback, there are the action items you want to take in order to positively influence the feedback. And then there is actually doing it. And oftentimes, as a leadership coach, I collect feedback, we create activities, and then oftentimes they go off and do it. Sometimes they don't, but sometimes the engagement ends. And I'm not there to either hold their hand or hold them accountable. And I'm just wondering, from your perspective, Ron, for that third piece of actually doing what it is that you need to do in order to have a good outcome, you know, what influence or impact do you think bravery has there? Well, I think it's, it's certainly a, a combination factor of with, along with tenacity, grit, um, convictions, uh, and perseverance, right? So change is hard. So along with the courage to engage in the process of transformative change, you have to have the courage to sustain it. Uh, even in the face of resistance, in the face of your own flagging spirit, 
uh, or your own, you know, battle fatigue in the face of all kinds of other emerging and competing priorities, um, and the incredible seduction of the status quo, right? The allure of the familiar, the regression back to what you know will always haunt you. And so if you're not able to resist that voice that says, you know, it's good enough, or no one's really going to appreciate this, or I don't know why you're putting all this effort out for it's probably not going to work anyway. You, know, you have to contend with all the ghosts that are there to haunt you with the idea that uh, there's some sense of futility about what you're doing. Uh, it, it does take a, a, other forms of courage to withstand and resist those. And I would imagine this is part of the work or a lot of the work that your organization does with organizations and leaders. It's That's how we spend our days. <laughs> so when you think of uh, bravery in the workplace, Ron, you know, what words or phrases, you already gave us a few, I think, but, you know, what words or phrases come to mind when you think about bravery in the workplace? Uh, so the first one that comes to mind is honesty. Um, you know, by and large, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm now uh, in the middle of my next book uh, on a topic that I've done a 15-year study on uh, what it takes to actually produce honest companies. And by honesty, I mean truthful, just, just, and purposeful. Um, and to stand apart from, you know, the sort of the institutionalized mediocrity we have in many organizations today and truly want to be who you say you are and to want to do the things it takes to create an honest and just workplace takes tremendous courage. Um, and so, you know, I, I've been steeped in case studies. I've done thousands of interviews with leaders who are exemplars, people we would want to emulate, people who have done extraordinary things in the organization, um, who've, who've you know, told me stories about having to make some of the hardest, hardest decisions of their lives and of their company's lives, um, which took in incredible courage. So I think those are the words that first come to mind. Well, and I'm intrigued going back a couple of minutes to this idea of sustainment, right? Where you want to do something that others might not want to do, but it feels like it's the right thing, or you're making a change and you want to hold people to it and really sustain the new environment or the new focus that you're working on. And it feels as though that that takes bravery. It takes bravery to do it. It takes bravery to hold other people to it going forward. What are your thoughts? Well, you know, I mean, I, I tell my clients all the time, leadership is the ability to disappoint people at a rate they can absorb. <laughs> and if you're, if you're, uh, you're not comfortable, you know, making people uncomfortable, uh, you're probably not leading well. And sometimes you have to withstand their resistance. You have to withstand their scourge or their, or their contempt. Um, and you have to withstand their own feelings of uneasiness in, in the service of their growth, right? Your job as a leader is to make sure you create the environment of dignity in which people can do their best work. But sometimes that means dislodging them from the comforts that keep them from performing well. Uh, and if you're not prepared for that, you're probably going to institutionalize mediocrity and often institutionalize duplicity, right? The, 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 the classic, we say one thing, but do another here, right? We all have mission statements on our walls. We all have vision statements. We all have values. We all have statements of who we say we are. But, but if people in your organization, you know, hear those words and roll their eyes, like, yeah, yeah, that's what's on the wall in the lobby, but that's not how things really work here. You now have a real problem as a leader, right? You've now uh, created a sense for we're all talk, but no action. And my research shows that if that's the case, if who you say you are and what you do don't match, you're three times more likely to have people lie, withhold the truth, and behave unfairly. 
So it, it, it does take tremendous courage to, you know, want to counteract that sort of complacent environment and say, no, if we say one thing about who we are to our shareholders, to our customers, to our employees, we're going to be that. And we're going to find the places where we're not that. And we're going to close those gaps. Just a quick observation on something you said a few minutes ago, Ron, that this goal of a leader to make people uncomfortable just feels a little fresh and new in the leadership environment because so many leaders believe, whether it's correct or not, that their goal is to be well-liked, that, you know, if you're going to be, quote-unquote, elected president, you have to get most of the votes, right? Or, you know, you have to have people love you versus uh, recognize the new ways that you're presenting ideas and recommendations to an organization and potentially making people uncomfortable. So we're not here to talk about that today, but, you know, that's such a great and rich uh, observation on your part. I I think it's actually a critical point, Ed, you know, in our last book, Rising to Power, our 10-year research study, we power was one of the uh, things we isolated for and studied it deeply. And we assumed that the greatest abuse of power we would find was the typical ones, self-indulgence, immorality, you know, self-interest mm-hmm. on, on take. That, that was not at all the most ab- abused form of power. The most abused form of power was the abandonment of it. People too uncomfortable to exercise the power with their role uh, because they wanted popularity. They they purchased intimacy. They bought loyalty. They they doled out way too many yeses to make people like them, uh, and in the in so doing, diluted the resources and focus of the company rather than strengthening it. So, um, so it, it it is a common belief that leaders um, should be respected versus liked. But when they get in that chair and the isolation of that role hits they will do anything to purchase a sense of connection, especially if they, if they got promoted, right? They've lost now the mm-hmm. camaraderie in the middle. Now they're at the top and lonely at the top is a real thing. And some leaders will do very unfortunate compromising things to, to quell that discomfort. Fantastic. Ron, do you have a story that you'd love to share in respect to bravery in the workplace? Uh, gosh, you know, I've had so many. I'm sure you have many. I have not shown courage and bravery, but very early, I think one that was very formative for me early in my career, uh, I was still working internally as a consultant and, uh, we had, it was in the, in the, the, the IT department of a, of a technology company. So think about what that means. Right. And, uh, we had collected a whole bunch of data, um, both qualitative and quantitative, and we're in the middle of the feedback session and people are very anxious. The leader was known to be a little bit corrupt. He was not kind. He was harsh. He ran a little, you know, more than just a tight ship. And uh, I was presenting the bar graphs uh, of all the different dimensions we had assessed and measured. One of them was integrity. And as you looked across the aggregate data, that bar took a little bit of a dip. It wasn't until you dug deeper into the data that you saw just how big the, the integrity gap was, which of course people are now triggered. And so I'm nervous about how people are going to react to this data. And a woman in the very front row who clearly was his plant, who had been sort of sent there to sabotage this whole conversation, stood up and put on her little statistical PhD hat and said, how do we even know this data is valid? What kind of reliability measures did you use? Is it, was it, did you run a T-test? How, how can we be sure there's validity uh, in these met- metrics um, and that this even means anything? Um, whole data is not even completely uh, a scam. And I, you know, I, all in my, everybody's all eyes on me. 
<laughs> and you know, and I work for this company, right? So I'm thinking my career is now in my mouth. And I, but I also thought, you know what? This is the defining that gave us this data. Did so in the hopes of change. They were living in an oppressed environment. They were scared. So I thought, you know what? I'm just going to answer the question. And so I said to her, this was uh, three, three reliability regression analysis. We're running this data. Uh, the, the data correlates to a 0.84, which is more than statistically significant uh, to suggest that this data is valid. But you know what? Let's test your theory. So everybody, by a show of hands, how many of you in this room have never lied to someone else in this room? Awkward silence. Nobody raised their hand. So I said to her, I think we know what the data is telling us, don't you? <laughs> and let it go. Um, and that was a defining moment for me, not just for that, for that particular project or that client, but for how, how I wanted to conduct myself as a consultant. People rely on me to be a broker of truth. They rely on me to bring them information they can't get otherwise get. It doesn't have to be comfortable. And I think since then, you know, when, when people often refer to me as the velvet hammer, you know, why is it you're able to say such really hard things to leaders in such kind and caring ways? Because uh, it's my training. It's what I do. But, and people often ask me, don't you get worried about making them defensive or they get, or they're getting, having reactions or getting angry or firing you? I'm like, that's the least of my worries. If they want to fire me because I give them hard feedback, so be it. I said, my biggest fear is not how they react to what I say. My biggest fear is how they react if they found out I didn't say something. My biggest fear uh, that keeps me up at night is not delivering hard news. It's a leader saying to me, wait, you knew and didn't tell me? Mm -hmm. You thought that and never raised the question? That's what keeps me up at night. So for me, the danger of, um, of not speaking up is a far greater risk to my integrity than anything I could possibly say that would disturb somebody. You hire me. You, 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 my job is to disturb you. <laughs> well, I love that story because I think that mental model of you know what I'm saying to you is honest because I don't want six months from you, six months from now, for you to say why didn't you tell me this before? So if if you want to avoid that increased awkwardness later, now is the time, of course, respectfully to say what you need to say or do what you need to do in order to be candid and honest. But more importantly, did that quiet that person in the front row? Oh, it, it definitely silenced her. <laughs> it, it didn't silence her boss, but it silenced her. <laughs> well, I appreciate that story, Ron. Uh, I can imagine as a younger consultant at an organization standing in front of a group of people who are clients, you know, being that candid and quite frankly, asking a question that you didn't know the answer to, which is, you know, everybody could have raised their hand. But of course, uh, statistically in your mind, you knew that was highly unlikely. And uh, they did what you thought they would do, which was nobody raised their hand. Right. So, well, terrific. Ron, thank you so much today for sharing some of your thoughts about bravery in the workplace and your, your great story about a defining moment in your past. How could people get in touch with you if they'd like to talk to you a little bit more about your story or about Navalent? Yeah, come visit us. So we have a, a great website uh, full of rich content, uh, Navalent, N-A-V-A-L-E-N-T.com. Uh, we've got videos and white papers. We have a free ebook at navalent.com slash transformation. We've got a great blog, a great magazine. So lots of resources on leadership and teams and all kinds of versions of bravery. You can also find me on LinkedIn and on Twitter. So follow me there. And uh, I, 
I'm frequently posting from my articles in HBR and Forbes. So lots of good ideas to share with you and would love to hear from you about what's going on in your world. So stay in touch. Fantastic. And just to repeat, it sounds as though you have a free ebook that people can download at uh, navalent.com backslash transformation. Absolutely. Yep. It's our playbook on change. So if you, if you're leading some kind of significant transformation in your life or in your team or in your company, uh, this is our playbook on how we do it. Fantastic. Ron, thanks again for joining us today. Yeah, a pleasure. And thanks again to our listeners for joining us this week. And we hope you join us next week as we further explore being brave at work. We also remind you to subscribe to our podcast at bebraveatwork.com and or download and listen to our podcast on Pandora, Spotify, Google, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Apple, Overcast, CastBox. We are everywhere. Do you have something to say yet are not saying it? Do you have something to do yet are not doing it? Now is the time to be brave at work. Have a great week.